You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Amen. Good to be with you all this morning. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jonathan Dodson. I'm the theologian in residence here, uh, which does not mean I have all the answers or that I'm temporary. But I do love thinking about deep thoughts about God, and I want to help us think well about Him and follow Him, and so um, I'll be doing that uh, over the years. Um, I am married to my wife, Robbie, and we have three kids. Owen is 18, Ellie is 16, and Roz is 12. And uh, we are so grateful to be a part of Citizens Church. Uh, We moved here from Austin, uh, where we moved about 20 years ago to plant a church in downtown Austin called City Life Church. And uh, there we, our our aim was to renew the city socially, spiritually, and culturally with the gospel of Jesus. Did that over the years and began to uh, train other church planters and pastors to equip them and to uh, teach them and then to write. And so um, that's part of my job here is to, to write and to equip leaders and to teach and, and to pray. And so um, we're super grateful to be here. Let's pray together. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would meet us this morning. Some of us are super excited about the Christmas season and to celebrate God become man, Emmanuel, with us. Others um, are conflicted, uh, anxious, um, weighed down. Perhaps uh, there is personal pain or difficulty in the family. And some of us are blah. Some of us are indifferent. Lord, wherever we are, would you meet us? Would you speak to us, through your word, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Yesterday, I was at the gym, and I began chatting with this, um, you know, chipper, uh, middle-aged lady, and uh, she uh, began to talk with me, and then she she asked me, well, what do you do? And I said, oh, I work at a church, and immediately her countenance fell. So I said, well, listen, I also write. I'm working on a science fiction book, and she ran with that. (laughs) Uh, Christians, and clergy in particular, can be perceived as kind of stiff, as out of touch, indifferent, um, uh, holy rollers. Uh, Zechariah, who we're looking at this morning, is quite the opposite. I think you'll find he's very in touch with your struggles. And uh, we're doing this in Advent. We're looking at Jesus through figures in the Christmas story. Last week, we looked at Mary. Next week, we'll look at uh, Simeon and Anna. And today, primarily looking at Zechariah. Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. He was a priest to Israel. Uh, he was a father to John the Baptist, and he was a prophet uh, to the ages. So let's look through Zechariah's eyes, and let's look at through each role. Uh, the husband, the priest, the father, and the prophet. Husband. Our story picks up uh, in the days of Herod, the puppet king, um, who ruled over uh, Israel, and he allowed them to worship uh, in their temple. But he did so under the watchful, oppressive eye of Rome. Uh, Zechariah was a priest uh, under 
uh, Herod's reign, he uh, hailed from the house of Abijah. Now, why is that significant? Uh, well, the, the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions or houses, and Abijah was one of the lower, uh, less significant houses. But good news, Zechariah marries up. Uh, he marries Elizabeth, and Elizabeth can trace her lineage uh, through the priestly line all the way back to the original high priest, Aaron. <clears throat> and I just wondered uh, if Zechariah thought marriage to Elizabeth would help him deal with some kind of gnawing inadequacy inside of him. Uh, he might have a mid-job, but uh, at least he's got a trophy wife. But then we learn they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. They're in their 60s now. They don't have an heir. They haven't been able to dote on a daughter or son, and there's no one there to take care of them in their old age. Worse, in the law, in the biblical law, uh, infertility was a form of judgment. And uh, even if you weren't uh, in sin, people would kind of look at you as if you were. They assumed the worst, and so Luke says, and they were both righteous before God. Righteous, yet barren. There's a tension. There's a tension between who they are and who they want to be. And I wonder if there's a tension for you between who you are and who you want to be. Maybe in an unguarded moment, you think, I'm, I'm not where I thought I would be. I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. I'm not as fulfilled as I thought I would be. A tension between who you are and who you want to be. Single, but not married. Married, but not a parent. Got a career, but it's not the career that you thought it would be. Retired, but really kind of unsatisfied. In the film Dream Scenario, uh, Nick Cage plays this kind of forgettable university professor. And uh, overnight, he begins to appear in people's dreams. Uh, all over the world, he, oh, it's a viral sensation. Uh, Nick Cage, the, the forgettable university professor, is in everybody's dreams. And so what does he do? Well, he tries to leverage the fame to get his book published. Uh, but it doesn't work, and then something interesting happens. He begins to be a villain in the dreams of people all around the world. The dreams become nightmares. He becomes persona non grata, public enemy number one. So what does he do? Well, he tries to leverage the bad fame to get his book published. Now, what's the story about? An interview with a screenwriter said this, don't hold your happiness hostage to the achievement of a long-term goal. If you do, your happiness will always be in the future. Is your happiness hostage to the future? Promotion, a spouse, a child, Retirement, a legacy? Or have you found joy in the present?
Zechariah the priest. There are up to 18,000 priests at any given time, and so to be selected to serve in the temple was a big deal. This was Zechariah's moment to shine, uh, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and so his number comes up, and he is called to, to burn the incense. Uh, the, the altar of incense was inside the temple, and it was just outside the Holy of Holies. So this is a, this is a very sacred task, and maybe he thinks, here's my chance to prove myself to my family to, to deal with the, the inner inadequacy. Uh, incense symbolized the aromatic pleasure of God in our prayers. It was burned morning and evening uh, during the sacrifices, and then the priest would come out and pronounce a blessing on the gathered worshipers. So Zechariah goes into the temple with a rope tied around his leg. If you were unclean, you could be struck dead. He disappears into the temple. Hundreds of worshipers are praying and, and watching and waiting for him to emerge and pronounce the blessing. And inside, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now, why is Zechariah so rattled? I mean, Angels aren't that big a deal, are they? I mean, our, our kind of view of angels are cupids on clouds, aren't they? And a porcelain figurines, cute little things. But in the Bible, the appearance of an angel was often threat. You think of the angel with a fiery sword in Eden, the angel of death at Passover, the angels in fire around 10,000s of them around God at holy Mount Sinai. No wonder Zechariah trembled. When an angel appears, it's as if God is speaking. Incidentally, that's why there's a comment about the angel standing to the right of the altar. Why is that significant? Standing to the right of the altar meant that the angel was speaking on behalf of God. This is God speaking. Fear fell upon him. Now imagine you're in the temple. Imagine you have a rope uh, tied around your leg. You know you haven't measured up. You know people kind of look down on you. You have this sense of inadequacy, perhaps shame. You've been praying an unanswered prayer for decades. What's God going to say? Oh, you of little faith, I thought you'd done more with your life by now. What does he say? Don't be afraid. Actually, he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. And when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, they were often filled with fear. And what did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. It's not a rebuke, it's a reassurance. I am with you. Don't be afraid. A number of years ago, I had major surgery, and I can remember being in the hospital room, dark at night, 
and waking up in the middle of the night all alone, wondering if I would walk again, fearful of what my future held. Uh, But then God spoke to me through Psalm 139. There's this beautiful little phrase that says, when I awake, you are there. Do not be afraid. I'm here. His presence reassured me in my fear, and God is in the room with you. Whatever your unanswered prayers, whatever tension there is inside of you between who you are and who you want to be, whatever your anxieties and fears, God is with you. And he says, knowing your name, don't be afraid. You say, why? Why should we not be afraid? The the angel next says, your prayer has been heard. Imagine Zechariah hearing that, my, my prayer. You mean the prayer that I've been praying for Year after year after year after decade after that, that prayer, the prayer for a child, that why, why show up now when it's too late? Why, why answer my prayer now? Do you have an unanswered prayer? For a child, a spouse, a reconciled relationship? The suffering just to stop, the tension to dissolve. God hears your prayer. And just because you haven't heard an answer doesn't mean that God hasn't heard your request. Remember, prayers are like incense to God. You say, well, then why the silence? Because prayer isn't just getting things from God. Prayer is learning to trust the compassionate complexity of providence. Prayer isn't just getting things from God. It is learning to trust the compassionate complexity of providence. You say, well, what's that? Let's look at Zechariah. I mean, he thought that he was praying for a baby. It turns out he's praying for a prophet. A prophet who would pave the way for the Savior of the world. He had no idea. He wasn't just interceding for a son or a daughter, but for the chosen one that would baptize the Son of God to begin his ministry. It's complex, but it's compassionate. And to do this, God needed barren Parents, barren people who would wait and pray year after year, decade after decade. You say, well, I'm not praying for a prophet. You know, I'm not praying for anything great. Well, they didn't know that they were praying for that either. You say, well, I've got smaller things. You know, Jesus says, uh, not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from my Father's will. You see, God is in a complex way, in a compassionate way, working all things, weaving all things together 
for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, this is no butterfly effect where things are fatally connected. This is a personal God, full of grace and compassion, weaving things together for our eternal good. So whatever your struggle is, whatever your unanswered prayer, you can know that God is always doing way more than you can imagine. In fact, if we knew everything that God knew, we wouldn't change a thing. And so God is asking, will you wait? Will you trust me? Will you put your faith not in your prayers, but in the compassionate complexity of my providence? Husband, priest, father. Zechariah exits the temple to pronounce the blessing upon the gathered worshipers, but he can't. He has been struck mute by the angel. Why would he do that? Well, when the angel announces that Zechariah will have a son, he responds in disbelief. Verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. You see, Zechariah chose unbelief and is justly judged. But God tucks away compassion and mercy in the judgment. I mean, Zechariah is going to have months to contemplate the compassion of God. But God will not rescind his promise. He will bless Zechariah and Elizabeth with a son. Well, the time for Elizabeth to deliver arrives and she gives birth to a boy. The relatives and neighbors gather around rejoicing in this miraculous birth. The relatives are eager to name the child and so they are ready to name him after his father, Zechariah. But Mary, I mean, Elizabeth insists uh, that his name be John. And so uh, they, they don't know what to do. They go out of the room and they consult with Zechariah to ask him what his name shall be. And to their amazement, he says his name shall be John. And they're amazed. They're all struck with wonder. Why? The name John means God is gracious. God is compassionate. Suddenly, Zechariah speaks, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the priest becomes a prophet. And what does he say? Darn you, God, for all these bitter years. No, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed? Are you kidding me? He chose blessing, not bitterness. Why? He goes on, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, this word visited is, is very interesting. God has visited his people before. Exodus chapter 4, and the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. 
This is the Exodus visitation in which God rescued his people out of oppressive slavery. Zechariah is saying that God will accomplish another Exodus in which another Moses will lead them out of oppression and in out of slavery. He will visit them and he will redeem them. Well, how's, how's he going to do it? The third uh, visitation. The sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This time it's a visiting sun. Why, why a sun? Well, Zechariah borrows the image from the last time a prophet spoke to Israel hundreds of years ago from the prophet Malachi, who says there'll be a great day when the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. What's with the winged sun? As you can see uh, on the screen, the ancient Near Eastern people believed that sun gods depicted with a sun and wings were the most powerful gods. They were venerated for their uh, sovereignty over uh, the cosmos. And kings wanted to be so identified with them that they would become like them, that they would be like God in their power and in their rule. But in Christianity, at Advent, the sun god comes down. The sun god comes down to humanity, to strugglers and sufferers and sinners, to people who aren't what they thought they would be, to people with unanswered prayers. The sun god comes down, not to deify us, but to redeem us. And this, this is what we truly, truly need for the light to come down into the darkness. More than a child, more than a spouse, more than a promotion, more than a a book published. We need the light to come down to the darkness of a feeding trough to be with us. Don't be afraid. Don't let your joy be held hostage to some future idol. Welcome the light into your darkness. So more than happiness, we need the visiting light, the redeeming light, the light snuffed out at the cross for our unbelief. And then Jesus rose again with healing in his wings. Jesus brought the future of his righteousness down into the present. The Son of God risen with righteousness in his wings and his people tucked underneath. Will you trust him? Wherever you are, whatever unanswered prayer you have, whatever tension you deal with, whatever inadequacy you feel, God is asking you this morning, will you trust me? 
will you trust the, the compassionate complexity of my providence? I'm doing something so great, so great that if you could comprehend it, you wouldn't change your circumstances. You see, Jesus wants to guide our feet away from the shadow of death into never-ending peace. Let's trust him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we uh, pause where we are, uh, burdened, anxious, fearful, thrilled, comforted. Um, would you meet us? Would you, would you guide our emotions right now? Would you give us faith where we struggle to believe? O oh, Son of Righteousness, with healing in your wings, would you bring healing to our unbelief, healing even to our bodies? But we thank you, Lord, that you have decisively done the most profound healing, and that is to forgive us of our sins and place us under the wing of your righteousness. Jesus, light of the world, we bless you for coming down into our darkness, and we thank you that you will return to guide us into the way of never-ending peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.